you'll remember the theme of our uh, uh, sermon is a uh, sermon series is Christmas Interrupted and how Christmas is really an interruption, how God comes into people's world as they're living their lives and uh, wakes them up to the reality that, that uh, God has a plan for their lives and for this world. And so he interrupts them in amazing ways. Uh, last week we talked about Mary, and today we're going to talk about the old priest Zechariah. So here are the words from the scripture that can be found in the inside of your bulletin. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a, water, a, a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And behold, the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And behold, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. The word of the Lord. Well, Zechariah was an old man whose time had come. It was the day that he had dreamed of since becoming a priest the day when he would get the opportunity to go into the temple to burn incense. Zechariah was a priest. That means that he was a direct descendant of Aaron, who had been given the priesthood by God himself. And all the descendants of Aaron were to be priests. And so when Aaron was a young, uh, when Zechariah was a young man, he was made a priest. And his job was to represent the people to God. He had different priestly functions, at least uh, in addition to being in his hometown, two weeks a year, he would go to Jerusalem. And he, with his particular division, would take care of all of the aspects of the temple. But there was a lot that was drawn as to who would go and burn incense in the temple. 
and usually your name only came up once in your lifetime. In fact, some people could be priests and go throughout their entire lifetime and never get that honor and opportunity to go ahead and do that. So here's Zechariah, an old man whose name has come up in the lot, and it's his opportunity to walk into this beautiful building which God has given the specifications for to offer incense. Zechariah was married to Elizabeth, who also was a descendant of Aaron. He was a pastor married to a pastor's kid. They were the ideal religious couple, so to speak. But not only having the pedigree, they believed they were a righteous couple, observing the commandments blamelessly, says the Scriptures. doesn't mean that they were, sinful, that they were without sin, not at all. But rather they believed in the grace of God, that they observed the sacrifices, that they genuinely loved God. This wasn't just punching a clock for Zechariah. This is the life that he had devoted himself to. And as an old man, he had known the goodness of the Lord, but he had also known pain. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth had not been granted children. They had tried, but for whatever reason, it was not part of the gift that God had given them. Maybe there was a sense of wondering why, what's wrong with us, as they had watched others conceive, children grow. And now in their old age, as Zechariah lived out the final parts of his life, his line would die with him, the name of Zechariah. But there was this opportunity first to look forward to. A little background on giving incense. Why was this practice uh, happening in the church? It was given to the Israelites in Exodus 30 by God. And God said, I want you to construct a specific altar to burn incense on. And he actually gave the formula of the incense that was to be used. It wasn't to be used for anything else, mind you. And a priest would go in twice a day and he would burn this incense and literally the incense table was right outside the Holy of Holies. And the smoke of the incense would rise up and you could see it go into the Holy of Holies uh, through, the, uh, through the veil there. And incense is always related uh, in the Scriptures to prayer. Psalm 141.2, May my prayer be set before you like incense. Leviticus 5.8, When the 24 elders fall before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And so as this priest was to offer the incense, he was supposed to pray alongside it as if the incense was the prayers of the people, praying for the atonement, for the redemption of Israel. You know, when a king uh, uh, held court, incense would be burned because incense was a sweet smell and it would go ahead and sort of mask the smells of the great unwashed masses, so to speak. It was an agrarian culture. And so we see that this incense, this sweetness God is using to illustrate the prayers being sanctified. But even with the incense altar once a year, the high priest would go and he would take blood and he would put it on the corners of the altar of incense to show that even with the beautiful sweet smell, there's still sin that needs to be atoned for. 
When we hear Zachariah and who he is as a person, we think to himself, he's the perfect poster child for Christmas. He's perfect to accompany Mary in terms of his faithfulness and how he'll respond to God's call. And yet we see that things don't go as well as what we would have thought they would have been, right? We see doubt in Zechariah, unbelief when he hears the promises. The question is why? I want to suggest to you that Zechariah was faithful and had lost faith. He was faithful and he had lost faith. You can do that, you know. You can be faithful to all that God is calling you to do, living a righteous, upright life, and yet losing faith that God is actually at work in the world. He's actually active in circumstances. He was faithful and he had lost faith that God was at work in the world. You see, God had already prophesied, he had already communicated at the end of the Old Testament what would happen next, right? At Malachi, at the last chapter of the Bible before the book of Matthew, he says, I will send uh, before you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children to make ready the disobedient for the wisdom of the righteous. It's going to happen. God had said what would happen, but he had not said when. And 460 years had gone by, offering incense day after day. And as Zechariah looked around, he saw the Romans. He saw the own heartbreak in his own life. And he had lost faith. And so as Zechariah went in, he had responsibility, but he had no expectation. He was going into the dwelling place of God, but he was not expecting to find him. I don't know if you've ever done this. You pick up a book and you, uh, you want to read the story, right? And so you're reading this story and then you want to take a break and so you fold the page and you go ahead and you close the book. And the story stops, right? Because you close the book on the story. And when you want to open the book, then the story begins because you are in charge of the story. See, that's what Zechariah had done not realizing that the story was going on and on and on. He had lost faith that God was at work in the world, and he had lost faith that God was at work in him. Zechariah's time was almost up. There was no child to follow him. He had simply assumed that this is his role to play, to be a priest, to spend his time, and this was his contribution, to offer incense and to live out his life. Zechariah had lost his place in the story. And he had forgotten one of the biblical truths that all the best things in the world we must wait for. How about Christmas coming up? If you're a little one, I don't know. If you're squirming, thinking at night what is going to be underneath the tree, getting more and more excited, I love my little daughter, Maria. I can't wait for Christmas. Every day, she's waiting. How about the farmer who plants his crops? Goes to bed, wakes up the next day, and lo and behold, there it is, right? Microwavable crops. No, he has to wait for them and tend them 
and be attentive to the promise that will be fulfilled. What about love? I don't know about love at first sight, but the love that I know of must be nurtured and cared for, must develop and enrich till it comes to fruition. Or friendship. Did not God say the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that a baker put throughout uh, the dough and it permeated until it was in all places? For the greatest, most profound, tenderest things in the world, we must wait. It happens not in the storm, but according to the divine laws of sprouting and growing and becoming. But there's a challenge to waiting, my friends, for Zechariah and for us. The days grow long. The promises grow dim. And there is a tendency to possibly settle for less. See, Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can bow only in humble uh, timidity, waiting until the Holy One comes. Zechariah at some point settled for good enough to live in God's commands, to enjoy His blessings, which we're commanded to do, but he settled. You know, sometimes I think that we have settled in our Christian faith. We're happy, but we're not hungry. We have a warm bed, a good church, happy kids, but there's not a longing in our hearts for something more. And so we go about our business, living our Christian life like Zacharias, and yet we've lost our place in the story. And even though life is so good for us, there's a vague sense that all is not right, that all is not enough. And every now and then we inevitably find ourselves looking out a window for a land that we have not seen, a friend we cannot name, a future though we have put it aside, still has a hold on our heart. That's what Zechariah did, and that's what we do. I don't know if you remember the story of the Pevensey children. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, in the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, who are sent to live with their relative out in the country. And I believe it's Lucy who uh, goes to hide in a wardrobe and finds herself going through the furs and discovers that she's in a new land, a land called Narnia. And eventually getting all the Pevensey children through, discover themselves in this unbelievable story where it has been foretold that they will come, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And the adventures as, uh, as they meet Aslan and ultimately defeat the White Witch and they're crowned in the four thrones uh, at Caer Paravel. But if you remember the story, they continue to live in Narnia and they grow older and they forget about that other world. It grows dim in their mind. And it's only that they're, when they're out for a hunt, hunting the white stag, that they come upon a lamppost and in the dim recesses of their mind they begin to remember another world. And as they press on going through the fur, uh, through the trees, that ultimately become coats 
They stumble out of the wardrobe into the world. And it's as, as if they never left. The dream world and the real world, they lost sight of the true story. What about you? Are you faithful? And have you lost faith? We too wait, don't we? You know, the word Advent, if you translate it, not into the Latin, but into the Greek, is parousia, which refers to the second coming of Christ. Our whole life, my friends, is an Advent. It's an Advent season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So is there any hunger in you? I've got a new job, Carlos. It's exciting. It's a great opportunity. And it's what's on my mind. I just made the sports team. And I think and think about it and the opportunities that come. I just got accepted at college. My life is moving forward. We just had a child. And my heart is so full, either with pain or with the goodness of God, that there's no place for anything else. And I've forgotten about the world beyond the lamppost. And you've settled. You know, there is a peace that comes in hunger. Those who do not know how it feels to struggle anxiously with the deepest questions of life, of their life, and to patiently look forward with anticipation until the truth is revealed cannot even dream of the splendor of the moment in which clarity is illuminated for them. We're burning incense today as we've entered into the sanctuary, as we pray our prayers. So what is it that you are lifting up? Don't settle for the good in place of the best. Don't settle for God's blessings to the absence of God's promises. Don't settle for earth when heaven is your ultimate resting place. And heaven shall come in its proper time. What God promises, He always fulfills. So keep your eyes not on circumstances, but rather on the promises of God. So my first admonition is to don't settle. But my second is to look for the encounter. The angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, one of the questions I had as I was reading this was, what exactly was it that Zechariah was praying? Because the angel appears. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You will bear a son. But my question is this. Was Zechariah really praying for a son right then and there? I don't think so. Look at the incredulity that Zechariah has when the angel starts talking about a son. See, he had long ago died to that dream. He had long ago died to that prayer. Elizabeth was old. That wasn't going to happen. No, Elizabeth, excuse me, Zechariah was a righteous man. This is the one hour out of his lifetime when he would go before God 
And his responsibility was to pray for Israel. And I can guarantee you that he had thought of every minute of his time. No, he was praying for the redemption of Israel. And God answers by telling him that he's going to have a son. And speaking of him in reference to being the Elijah that is to come. Zechariah was, was praying for Israel and God revealed something better. God heard all of those prayers about a son. But God fulfill, uh, fulfills His promises in their proper time. And Gabriel said, guess what? You are going to have a son and He is the prophet who is to come. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or fermented drink and will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. By the way, that language deals with uh, someone who's called a Nazarite. A Nazarite would be someone that took a vow. It was a temporary vow not to drink. Uh, it was a special vow to live an a, a, a upright, holy, and righteous life. Samson started out that way, remember? A Nazarite. But he is a Nazarite from birth. And he goes on to talk about this one. Now, Zechariah was a priestly man, so he knew the, the prophecy from Malachi. Can you imagine what this meant to someone like Zechariah? That my son was going to be the one who was going to come. And he was going to herald the coming of the king. Jesus says that among those born of men, there was no, no one greater than John the Baptist. Zechariah takes all of this in and it's just too much for him. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. As he heard the angel speak and as he looked at the reality of his life, he had to doubt and ask the question. You know, why couldn't have Zechariah just kept his mouth shut? You know, the great thing about this promise, it's going to be an easy one to tell whether it's going to come true or not, right? Okay, you sense the immediacy of what, Gabriel, of what the angel Gabriel is saying. It's going to, 30 days and you'll be able to figure this one out, right? You're, you can even keep it to yourself if your wife, wife starts waking up and saying, hey, could you go to the store and get me some pickles? Okay, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit. But no, Zechariah had to ask. See, it was too painful to hope again and to be let down. How many nights of holding Elizabeth in his arms, of praying to God for a child and none to come. And Gabriel comes and opens this door with not only a son, but a son who is the prophet. You know, why did the angel even bring the advance news? Like, a much better way to do it was go ahead and let Elizabeth become pregnant and as it's happening and Zechariah is wondering, God can then speak to him. The reason is that what God wants to do to Zechariah is as important as what God wants to do through Zechariah. He wants to awaken faith and hope in Zechariah. A bigger vision than simply settling for this life. Hebrews 11, 6 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
And so Gabriel comes to Zechariah and Zechariah shows doubt. And so the angel responds, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. This was a gift from Gabriel, from God. He didn't have to give it. The result was silence for Zechariah. Now here's my question for you. When could Zechariah have started enjoying having a son? The day he walked out that temple. Because what God promises, he will fulfill. Sure, there would be all the joy and everything going on to the actual fulfillment of the promise, but he could have enjoyed it that day. He could have spoken of it and thought about it and enjoyed it. You know, in so many ways, as I see Zechariah, it's like I'm looking in a mirror. Because God has spoken to me as well, has He not? And I stand on the other side of fulfillment. For the Christ has come and lived and died and rose again. And all the blessings and fulfillment are mine in Christ. And as He promises me strength and hope that He'll never leave me or forsake me, that He'll meet all of my needs, no matter how dire my circumstances occur. When can I start enjoying these promises? Promises. When I wake up every morning. And yet, like Zechariah, sometimes I look at reality and I compare it to my faith. And I refuse to believe the promises that God gives it seems to me that in the Scriptures, we always act and then we receive. Remember Jesus to Peter? Step out of the boat and walk to me. And as he stepped out and walked, there God met him. Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. Stretch out your hand, Jesus commands. And as they did so, as he did so, he was healed. It's believing in the promises, enjoying them. I remember the first time that we bought one of those little tests at the pharmacy. You know, the one that does the plus or minus little deal to it. And, you know, wife goes and does her thing and you sit there and you wait to see what shows up. And lo and behold, there comes the plus. When did we start enjoying it? Right then and there. And started thinking and savoring about all that was to come. The life was birthed. It simply needed to take its course. But even then, there's some trepidation and worry because maybe it won't come to pass. But not with the promises of God. For unto us a child is born. And a son has been given. And behold, I will be with you always until the end of the age. It seems to me that every day we have Zechariah moments. When God's promises intersect with our reality. When the Holy Spirit whispers into our ears. And we must make the decision whether to respond in faith 
to live how we believe. We can enjoy what is coming now. And so think about your Zachariah moments. I don't know what they are right now in your life. And look for the proper times when God comes. There are different seasons in our life. Sorrow may last but for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Waiting is an art that our impatient age has forgotten. It's like we pick up a piece of fruit and we open it up and we bite into it and it's not quite ready and so we throw it away. Not content to savor and wait and be patient for God who always brings the harvest. What God promises, He always fulfills. So keep your eyes not on circumstances, but rather on the promises of God. If God is alive in the world, He will encounter you through His Holy Spirit in many different ways and many different times. This brings me to my final point. That if we're to not settle, if we're to look for the encounter, then finally we're supposed to live out loud. Interesting punishment, don't you think? that Gabriel gave to Zechariah? You will not be able to speak. Why did he do that? Why not something else? Like blow him up or something. You know? Give him leprosy. I don't know. That's kind of harsh. I don't think leprosy is anyway. That's why I'm not God. Um, Zechariah, I think that the angel, I think God wanted him to think and contemplate and Sometimes you just have to get back within yourself and ask the question, what do I believe? We have to ask the question every day, what do I believe? What wonder it would have been for Zechariah to walk out of that temple and to be able to speak and proclaim. It seems that not only was he mute, but he was also deaf based on the Greek in the language. He couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. No, he needed time to think about his life. He was such a righteous guy, and yet he'd lost faith. I wonder if sometimes that we live in a self-imposed muteness because we don't believe the promises of God and we don't act on them. We don't have anything to say. We don't have anything to speak. We're content settling with life, living to a ripe old age and dying in our sleep, so to speak. Let me suggest to you that God has given us a message. It's interesting, Mary, when she sees Elizabeth and Zachariah, they both sing a song. You sort of break into song when you have something that you need to say that needs more than mere words. It needs heart. It needs emotion. It needs passion. We have a song to sing. And so my final point is I want to rouse you to think about your life. That if the promises of God and the upcoming fulfillment of God is stirring in your hearts, it will move toward song. It will move toward communicating to the world the goodness of God. Maybe this Advent season we need to spend a little time quiet, like Zechariah examining the question, what do I believe? But God made us to speak. 
All authority has been given in heaven and earth to me. So go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Maybe this Advent season is a time of shouting for you and me, to our neighbor, to the person across the cubicle, not just with words, but how we live, the rejoicing we have, the hope for our future, the confidence in the present, that Christ is alive and well again and His promises are fulfilled. If anyone should be joyous this Christmas season, it's us. So examine your heart. There's only room for stress, for shopping, for getting through the holidays, for enjoying a good Christmas season. But there's no passion for proclamation of the one who is and was and is to come. That I need a moment, a Zechariah moment with Gabriel where I set my heart aright where I can live in the promises of God, actively testing, so that when I stand on firm ground, I can shout it from the rooftops. Yes, indeed. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. What God promises, He always, always fulfills. So wherever you're at, and whoever you are, Keep your eyes not on your circumstances, but rather on the promises of God. Don't settle. Look for His encounter and live out loud. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are a living God. Your promises, all of them are yes in Christ Jesus. And You are alive and at work. And we can lay hold of the supernatural life that you have given us, for you are in us. Let us live with passion. Let us live with perspective. And let us live expectingly. For day by day, moment by moment, your life and promises are intersecting with us, daring us and challenging us to walk in faith that we might see your promises fulfilled. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.